Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have me a very special guest, Martin Dukes. Martin, how are you doing today? Oh, good, thank you. Oh, excellent, excellent. I'm so happy anytime I can get um, connect with somebody on Twitter or TikTok uh, and then, you know, talk to them and interact with them and then get them on the show. It's, I always consider those two my my water cooler, so to speak. <laughs> um, so it's always nice when I can interact with somebody and then get them on the show. So I really appreciate you for coming today. So, and we'll oh, start. Very, very glad to be here. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll start right with that first question, Martin. What has your writing journey been like up until this point? Well, I'm sure you can tell by looking at me that it's been quite a long journey. <laughs> so um, I, I sure, like many authors, I've been um, writing and, and uh, ever since I could first form the letters. <laughs> Um, I remember when, as a very small child, um, writing little, writing and putting together little books about my teddies. Oh, that's cool. And, and then giving them to my friends. And uh, when I was at school, uh, this is back in about 1970, I suppose, I actually produced a school magazine. Oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> because it, this was um, before the days of photocopying, before um, a photocopier was even in the eye, in the a sparkle in the eyes of Mr. Xerox or <laughs> whatever. Um, so I wrote this magazine out by hand, all 12 pages of it. And then um, I gave it to my friends to read and they passed it around. And then I had to write it out more times. So <laughs> you can imagine it was that tedious. It never really got past, past uh, the first edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I kept on with it. I've always been always very, very keen uh, on my English lessons and language in general has always been important to me. And um, I suppose I really got going on it when I was in my late teens, when uh, for my 18th birthday, I had a electric typewriter. Which is a, a, a big advance on what I'd previously had. I don't know. I mean, yeah. if you show if you show a typewriter to kids nowadays, what is that? <laughs> But having an electric one, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, I just don't can't imagine how people actually used to write novels using a typewriter because you know you had to go had to you had to go back and correct things with Tipex. Yeah, yeah. White strips every uh, every few moments. <laughs> so um, that was certainly um, a big step forward for me, and I I got some ideas for some novels there, and so I started. Uh, putting those together um, a little bit a couple of years later on I had finished my first novel and tried to get that published so like, again like very many authors uh, I've got drawers full of rejection slips um, I did get an agent briefly and I'd written this story about um, this boy who finds himself stranded in this sea or ocean um, with it was called the archipelago of lots of islands yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you could only go anywhere once on this island so obviously whenever whenever you went to one of these places uh you had to be pretty sure that you had accomplished everything you needed to do on every one because you were never able to go back oh interesting so uh she the, the agent was quite happy with that uh but unfortunately i'd written it in the um in the first person perspective and uh she wanted quite a lot of changes and she wanted to put it into third person mm -hmm. and um 
I'd got a lot of other things going on at the time. <laughs> and I just got fed up with the whole exercise in the end. So um, that was it for a few years, really. And I came back to it and uh, I started to evolve the ideas for my first published novel, um, which is A Moment in Time. Although in its first manifestation, it was called Caught in a Moment. Um, so that was my second complete, complete novel. So I think when you're starting out writing, it, it can be very daunting. Just uh, the whole idea of finishing a whole book. You know, it just seems such a vast undertaking. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you feel like just getting one chapter right uh, is itself a, a mountain to climb. Just getting 80,000 words out or whatever um, seems like it's an impossible dream. So it was brilliant to have, to have actually finished that. And I kind of felt, well, got one done now. So the next time I do this, it's going to be easier, uh, which has proved to be the case, actually. Um, but the first one, um, again, I went through the usual process of trying to get agents, try approaching publishers. That didn't work. Again, more more rejection letters, and um, eventually I decided to self-publish. So um, I did. That was a very much a, a sort of learning learning journey as well. Um, and I got that out. Uh, I got a sequel out for it called Worm Winds of Zanzibar, and um, a final episode in a trilogy, uh, which is called the Alex Truman Chronicles um with to complete that however um i'm sure you know yourself as a teacher uh writing is one thing but the social media attention and effort that you need to put in as well particularly as a self-published author um makes the writing part look like a walk in the park <laughs> yep yep <laughs> and um i'd been promoted at work and I was in a very demanding job, uh, which I was loving, absolutely loving, but it was taking an awful lot of things to make it what I wanted it to be. And uh, I just didn't feel that like I could put the effort into, um, into the marketing. So also, I must have been crazy to have produced a trilogy uh, because if your first book doesn't sell much, <laughs> what chance have you got with the second and the third? <laughs> but they always say for indie though that you have to that really you don't pick up you know sales don't pick up to book two so the the thing i've noticed recently is like you know a couple of my friends who have released book one and then let's say did the audio book the audio book did a little bit better recently but then they went and did like a novella like a prequel novella gave it away sold it at some point and then as soon as like book two came out though all of a sudden audiobook sales in particular picked up you know it's a, it's so interesting to see the patterns i mean i'm not a big math person like obviously i teach social studies but i absolutely love patterns because i study patterns in society um and have for you know three decades now and to me it's just interesting to see how the market has shifted from when i first realized what indie publishing was about eight nine years ago i met kevin j um, kevin hearn um, I met um, Michael J. Sullivan, Brandon Sanderson, Patrick Rutherford, and like Brian McKellen. All those people besides Kevin Hearn were like pretty much like brand new. And to see 
where they've gone in the last like nine years, you know, and what indie publishing has become. I mean, it's absolutely, it's, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. And a lot of the things that worked for them don't work now. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was, uh, this is back in 2012 when I bought out the oh, okay. first book. And I think things have changed a lot. Yeah. I think indie publishing, like you say, is really taken off now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, so one thing I liked when I saw your Twitter post, um, like the first time, I was just kind of like, I can't remember which one it was, but it really like stood out to me. And I was like, well, clearly this has something to do with time travel. It's sci-fi of some sort of nature. Um, and that immediately grabbed my attention. And then when I saw, I think it was, I don't know if it was book two or book one, uh, but I saw the cover and I thought, oh, that looks really interesting. I'm a huge design person. I originally want to be an illustrator. So the, just the the style of your covers really caught my attention. So I had to go instantly, you know, to Goodreads to figure out what your books were about. Um, and then the, I just was like, follow. <laughs> and then um, I definitely added them like right away um, with Kindle. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's, you have such a great blur, by the way, particularly for, for book one. I really liked it. It seemed to flow really well. I want to give it away until um, we get to the questions, but um. Yeah, I mean, I just, it immediately, you know, grabbed my attention. So I think it's really hard for some people, you know, to put those things together. I've seen quite a few authors, um, you know, for writers left or different things where I've had people ask me personally, like we talk to a lot of authors and, you know, you do this and that in the community, like, what should I do? And I'm like, well, a better cover would be one, you know, maybe, you know, tweak the title blurbs are just the biggest one. Because if I go to a blurb and one of my friends um, recently, I'm going to secretly send him a message and say, hey, I think, you know, if you want a little bit of help, I'm not the best, but I do know people to hook you up with. I think blurb is kind of, you know, uh, hurting some people a little bit. And I think it's it's hard, right? Because like you said, you have to write the book, but then you have to sell it. And like, who who would think that you'd have to write a really good blurb? <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I think the, you're absolutely right. I mean, the two things that sell your book is the cover and the blurb. Yep. And I, I was very lucky with that because I'm glad you just drew, drew you in um, because I came back into after some period away, like I said, I was very busy with my job. Yeah. Um, then I started to get interested again in approaching some publishers. I was very fortunate to be picked up by Provoco Publishing. Uh, oh. in this country. And uh, it was Jay Murray of uh, Provoco who said, yeah, you really need to pick that blurb. And what the original one was not as good um but she wrote that blurb essentially and i think it's just right isn't it and it gives oh you, yeah yeah you've got to be careful not to give too much away yep but i think it's just just enough to entice and to, to draw you in doesn't it so I've, I've took care i've been able to take care of my own covers because um the thing i taught for 37 years was graphic design so oh wow well uh, that makes total sense to me then yeah um and where and of course, that has become incredibly easy by comparison with what it was when I first started teaching. Because when I first started teaching, I was teaching graphic design without computers, <laughs> without, without Photoshop in particular. So, you know, you used to do poster design with the kids and, uh, you know, OK, here's here's your poster with your dog food tin. And, uh, you know, you're promoting this product. And even if the kids could draw an amazing dog food tin, you know, a nice <laughs> picture of a dog behind landscape, as soon as they come to put a title on it, it was ruined. Who can hand draw text, you know? 
kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing that project like really, really early in high school. I think it was like sophomore year or something like that. And I remember like I had everything was great because like I, I drew pretty well, but then I couldn't fit all of my words right. So, you know, everything just looked off and it just like yeah. threw the entire thing off. I've seen so much of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I suppose there's a limitation to what I can do with book covers because I, I cannot draw well enough to be an illustrator. Hmm. I can draw well enough to teach art in, in up to secondary school level. That's no problem at all. But when you see some of the, uh, the illustrated covers on, uh, on uh, fantasy books, they're amazing, aren't they? Oh, and Felix Ortiz. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so talented people out there. Yeah. Well, like the one day, like, well, I had actually got a hold of Felix and I said, I, I need to figure out this type of style. And I said, I don't know what it's called, you know, and I was trying to look it up and I asked a couple artists and everybody like blew me off that I knew <laughs> um, on social media. Um and he was like the most busiest, I feel like, because he had like three covers that I found out later on it was like back to back to back. So he was very polite, said, oh, it's about to be this was in the summer. He's like, oh, it's about to be, you know, um, you know, nine o'clock here. I'm with my kids. You know, I will get back to you as soon as I can. I wake up the next morning. It's like 6 a.m., you know, so it's got to be like I think him and I are on like an hour and a half difference. So, yeah. you know, I'm like, what is going on? And he instantly, he goes, well, I, and I was talking about commissions. I was trying to commission him or someone. He goes, you're going to be spending like two grand. He goes, you should really just look up this art style and then find some sort of, cause I just wanted like a banner, like a cool banner. Um, and like, he literally saved me like, you know, at least, at least like a thousand dollars. Um, yeah. But I'm like, I, then I was like, well, I was already a fan of his art, but he just like proved, you know, he's just, a really good guy and I know a lot of people that you know talk about him and stuff so I messaged him the other day because he had this hunter with these two dogs that was just absolutely exquisite and I just it blew my mind I had to pull over on the side of the road um because it just kept sticking in my head <laughs> and then he did another one for somebody and it has this cool warrior and I said well that looks very Conan like um very Robert E. Howard and then he sent it to uh, to tag me and one of my other friends, uh, Scott Odin. Uh, so Scott's written like some Conan stories and things, and no, we were just no, freaking Frank out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Frank Rosetta. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, he looks. He, yeah, they look just like Frank. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it was crazy. They a little bit updated color scheme, but yeah, it was like you could literally hold Frank's and his side by side. You know, print them out, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I mean, to be I mean, it's about visualization. To be able to see something yep. in your head. And yep. then get it out onto the page. Yeah. That's a real skill, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he's, he said that in an interview um, on Wizards, Words, and Words. He's like, yeah, it's just this because you guys do it all the time for writing. And I just laughed because I thought to myself, like, yeah, but you do it so much better than most of us do for <laughs> writing. You know, like, I, I told him um, on Facebook one, point, one time, I messaged him, I was like, love this one piece. I said, I hope one day to be able to you know, describe a character or a story that well, you know, that well, where it really feels like it's alive. And some people like him are just so, you know, so amazing at doing that. It's, I think that's why, but I, just to bring it back to, you know, your covers, I think that's why, you know, that pulled me in because I felt like your character was alive, if that makes sense. Like I was really able to visualize the genre, the character, and it really just had the overall feel. And I've seen a lot of similar stories to yours that don't quite have the feel if that makes sense uh, yeah, yeah. i felt very i don't know so i guess some of the classic covers for like the time machine that i really like and you know some other ones um 
you know, that were similar in terms of, you know, sci-fi genre and things like that. Yeah. A lot of the same color schemes and things like that. So kind of felt like I was, it was very nostalgic, I guess, is a good way to put it. So Absolutely. Well, the other ones in the series, they, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scheme, essentially. They all feature my son. Oh, that's cool. Um, so he's, he's the model. So um, when I took the, I, I knew I was going to require, um, because there are eventually going to be five books in the series. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I knew I was going to have to take an awful lot of photographs. Yeah, yeah. It was going to take me maybe three or four years to write the series. Um, and he was already, I think, 18 when I took the photographs. Mm. So it's, <laughs> it's not going to work if, uh, if he's too old. Really. Yeah, yeah. Already perhaps a bit borderline, so <laughs> I, I banked a huge amount of uh, of still images and, and bits of video. So I've got those in the bank ready for all the, the covers as I need them. Essentially, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Not to think about that for the future. I must, I must not fall out with him. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I really like the um the one um oh where did I see it. Yeah, because it was book two um, that I just looked up on Amazon earlier and I hadn't seen um, uh, Warm Winds of Zanzibar yet for that cover. It absolutely looks amazing where he's kind of like looking back, um, back behind him. That was like an amazing color scheme. So I don't know how he came up with that, but that was like well, really cool. In the first one, I think it, I think it partly reflects his, his growth as a person, as a character throughout the series. In the first one, uh, I think you'll agree he's got a kind of hunted look as he's running into the into the page yeah, in, yeah. The one, in the second one he um uh he faces some most appalling traumas um but at the end he kind of finds his inner strength and uh um he realizes he just has to stick up for himself mm. and um i think you can see that in the pose which is striking oh for sure image there yeah it's a very like it's a very striking pose it really culminates and you know emanates like a lot of strength there so yeah that was really cool Oh, well, that leads us perfectly into question two. Um, so what genres do you currently write in uh, and how did you choose your genre or genres? I, I almost think genres choose you. Oh, I like that. I'm going to have to take that. I will, I will quote you, <laughs> but I'm going <laughs> to use that as an advertisement. So, That's really good. Uh, I think there's a, there's a sense that, you know, what you read, what you enjoy uh, kind of speaks to you. Yeah, yeah. And it makes you feel that you want to contribute in that area. So I've always been, um, I'm right back as far as I can remember, really. I've always been fascinated by fantasy worlds. Mm. Um, I remember as a, as a kid, you know, going to the beach and stopping at the news agents at the top of the drive down to the beach and picking up Michael Moorcock. Do you know? Oh, oh I love, yeah. I, I used to get through those at an amazing rate, and I still love his work. And Elric of Melny Bone and I just—they have a brand new graphic novel that um, really? last year. Oh yeah, and then they had—they just brought out like the collection um, at Barnes and Noble here, and I think my friend said that they just had the new one at Chapters. The cover is just—it really did an amazing job to display just him in his you know, just his presence. I mean, it was really cool. Yeah. It, it got so many um, aspects to his work, really, mm. which I think were visionary, really. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. At the time when people weren't doing it, I mean, like the Melny Bona, the ancient doomed empire and the, um, but, and also some of his 
really more outlandish fights, flights of fancy. Like, have you read the Dances at the End of Time trilogy? Uh, no, but I have it. I've just not read it yet. Yeah. Uh, oh, I recommend it. You, oh, you yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that a good recommendation. Well. I mean, it's just extraordinary flights of imagination and um, humor as well. Uh, some of his works really, really makes me laugh. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, there was that, of course. Um, also, you know, like Alex Truman in my books, uh, I was always, you know, during the more tedious lessons in school, you'd find <laughs> me doodling little maps on, uh, you know, on the back of my exercise books and and peopling it with, with little cities and drawing uh, rivers and and uh, forests and you know, then populating these places and giving them names. <laughs> and I think it's a short step from there, really, to actually making up stories that actually occur in these these lands that you create. And I know it is a very common preoccupation of people. I think most fantasy writers have done exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> so have you got a land where your own work is? To, is um, have you got something, a, a place in your head where your own characters and stories are going to be acted out? Yeah, yeah. The, so when I was illustrating, um, my teacher for art had said something very similar. And he said, well, let's do, he wanted us to do an alphabet book. Um, and it was a very intricate process. It had to have binding covers, like all these things. And we were literally learning about, you know, like Gutenberg printing press, the, you know, different um, wooden slack letters and things like that from China. It was just a very, he was an amazing teacher. And one day I was like, he, you know, he, he always saw me writing. Um, I love Forgotten Realms. I was trying to submit to Forgotten Realms. Um, they had like a contest where you could submit a story and then that's how they found some of their authors. So I've been working on it for about five years. Um, so I had, then I had kind of like my own thing going by then. And he goes, well, instead of doing some, I said, I don't really want to do anything, any of the topics that he had. So being the genius, I'm going to have to find him one of these days and tell him that, you know, when I get my first book published next year, um, you know, like this is because you said this, but oh. he literally said to me one day, he was kind of frustrated with me because I tried this, I tried that for the alphabet book and I didn't like any theme. And finally goes, you know, you're always writing your own stories. He goes, why don't you just do the ABs to, you know, A to Z alphabet on characters or places or both from your own fantasy world. And I literally was playing D and D for the first time at that time. And it just like blew my mind. And I was like, wait, 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 I can do that. And I think that's one reason why I also got into education because I had teachers like him that, you know, use my interests to try and garner something. So I literally went A through Z, created all these characters, all these species, all these races, you know, all these places. And some of them I still use today. I actually went back and revamped it and updated it with a lot of different philosophy and um, themes and things like that made a lot deeper, but there would be no book <laughs> um, in my fantasy world um without him saying that to me so i'm really glad that he pushed me that's a, i mean that really is what makes teaching worthwhile isn't it to, to know that you've you've made a difference to someone and oh, you've, yeah. set them on, you've set them on a particular path in life essentially yeah yeah well it's cool because like sometimes i get too distracted um as my friend says um you know with my job and i'm like well my job is you know as kids so i said it's not too you know i don't get as much writing done as <laughs> maybe some people but at the same time i'm like oh well i'll get to it later um i'm pretty disciplined about it but you know it's so hard because you know 
books are, you know, it takes, obviously, you know, it takes a while to get that thing really. And, you know, in front of you and I feel like teaching, like you get, I get the end product so much quicker, even if I don't see them at the end, you know, it's like I teach them and then I see them do something really cool, you know, and I always wonder, well, what's something I did or said that's going to, you know, have that same type of impact. So I'm very fortunate to absolutely love what I do. I think if I didn't love it as much, I'd probably get more writing done. Um, but also is nice. The kids are always really into it. So they actually keep me going, <laughs> you know, they're like, we want to read your book. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm tired. And then I'll be at home and I'll be like, I don't want to do this. And then, you know, I'll get to school. They'll be like, did you write last night? I'm like, all oh, right, get off my bed. Keep you up to the mark, aren't they? <laughs> yep. No, they really do. They really do. I wouldn't have finished my first draft if, you know, they hadn't kept pushing me and stuff. So it's fun, you know, for me, because it, it really does go both ways. So it's yeah. very easy to put off doing writing, you know. Yeah. Where you say, oh, I'll just do, I'll just do a new ad for, for Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that was you, me this week. You have to make yourself do it, don't you? Yeah. But once start, it's getting started, I find. I mean, once yep. some actually those sentences have started to flow, yep. fine. But just sitting down, getting finding your place where you last got to and getting started, that that's, that's a struggle, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I forget who I who I was listening to, but they had such a great point. They go, I literally go, I reread the last paragraph and then I write the, nothing else, just the, and then the bugs them, especially if it doesn't fit or it isn't right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they write a few more words to make it fit. And all of a sudden, you know, I've, I've started doing that and I have to say it has helped. And sometimes I'll write a really bogus word, you know, for something like something that's just so outlandish, it doesn't fit to purposely. (laughs) And I got to say, ever since then, I have not had, you know, writer's block or, you know, or anything. And it's really, I was like, that's such a three letter word, you know, like, or put a capital I where, you know, the should be, and it will bug you, you'll fix it. And all of a sudden you're, you know, off to the races. So. Yeah, it's very interesting. The other time is is when you you really want to write because I don't know about you, but my inspiration tends to come um, between waking and sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. I wake up, oh, I really need to get this written down, but oh, uh, I've got to go into town. Or, yep. I've got to see someone or something intervenes, which means you can't do it. That's enormously frustrating. Oh, yeah. Then you come back later and it, they, the moment's kind of passed. And... That's it. Yep. absolutely yeah there's um have you heard about um samuel taylor Cold- coleridge and and zanadu no um so his famous 18th century poem zanadu okay. um he had this opium fueled dream essentially mm. and the whole of this epic poem came into his mind with crystal clarity wow and um He was staying at that time in a cottage in North Devon and he leapt out of bed with his pen and his quill in order to commit this fabulous, fabulous shimmering vision of words to the page. And then a man from Porlock knocked on the door and he had to open it and detained him with some trivial business about a neighbour. And by the time he'd finally managed to shut the door and get him out, it all gone. Oh man! The first few lines. So it's uh, in Kubla Khan. How does it start? In Zanadu, did Kubla Khan decree or something? A pleasure. Okay. It's a very famous piece of 
poetry, but uh, I always find it interesting that this poor guy yeah. had this wonderful, wonderful thing. He's never going to compose anything better, uh, but this man from Porlock <laughs> intervened to destroy a famous piece of English literature. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how I feel like there was a, about a six months ago, I had the best dream ever. I mean, it was so detailed. The scenes were amazing. I dare to say it would have been the best movie of all time. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I woke up and I started to write. And I was just like, yeah, this doesn't work because, you know, the angle shots. And I mean, it was just I watch a lot of movies and, you know, I have all over the years. And I think I'm more of a visual thinker. So I think that's why sometimes, you know, finding ways to say what I'm trying to, you know, I feel like it's taken me years to develop the skill, um, you know, but I was so frustrated. I was like, oh, if I could just write this down, it'd be you know, really, really good. <laughs> People would read it, but I couldn't figure it out. And then of course, you know, after that 10 minutes, like everything's gone. So the idea was there, but not everything else that made it cool. <laughs> so I feel like I totally understand that. Like, but it was just my own subconscious self that ruined it. So have you ever had, had um, not being able to sleep? Because again, you've got this brilliant idea. It's going round and round and round your oh, head. Yeah. And you've got this conflict going on because part of your mind is saying, Oh, you'll be fine. You know, you'll remember this tomorrow. Just oh, no. go to sleep. And the other part saying, no, no, you're going to forget it. You need to yeah. get out of bed now and write it down. Nope. I had to the other day. It was last week we're on vacation and I knew I had to drive the next day and I, I knew it was going to not be fun, like four hours, but I had this um, urban fantasy story. Um, I got this uh, prequel novella, one of three with this monster hunter who's a recon Marine. Well, I finally had fixed everything where I felt like everything fit just right. And I was like, I at least need to get these, the two hardest scenes done because right. I, you know, I had the feeling of the words, not just, you know, what's, what was going on. So I literally spent like, probably, I don't think I went to bed till like two in the morning. We had to be up at like, you know, seven. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I just, I just busted through almost like 3000 words and I got wow, all in the middle of the night. Done. Yeah. And I mean, it was just like, I just couldn't, Cause at first I couldn't write and then it was something. And then I just, I think, you know, I had like 300 words down and then it was like, I saw somebody say something on book talk. And then I just thought, Oh, that actually really makes sense. And then um, I saw something random and I had like this little, I was trying to figure out how, so I have this guy and he, there's a part at the end that happens and he needs to get this object at the beginning of the story. And it needs to be nonchalantly. And it's going to be the key item, right? Yeah. And he forgets about it and then does this thing at the end. And that's the whole reason that he barely survives this uh, situation. And that's going to lead to all these other things. And I was like, the entire breadth of this guy's story depends on this one item. I was like, how am I going to get this item nonchalantly in his hand where the, you know, where you can be like, oh, I gave this to you, you know, earlier in the story and you didn't know how important it was. Um, and for some reason, yeah, I just saw something random and I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. And I, I just had to get it done. And I'm glad I did. Cause now when I go back, you know, tonight and tomorrow, it's like, I already have the hard part done. Yeah, I can yeah. finish up the, the third scene and then I can actually get on to finishing the last like 5,000 words. But it was so weird. Cause I was thinking for like two weeks and I was just, I went and wrote a couple other scenes, you know, and, um, it's a shorter, you know, it's novella, so it's shorter. So I could kind of go around. I knew what was going to happen, but I just didn't know how to, you know, how to really put the words down. But yeah. my friend was like, you might as well just do that every time now. I'm like, yeah, but I, it, was, it was a struggle bus the next day. Let me tell you, because my wife, she's, uh, we're having a baby. So she's 
oh, you got to drive. I'm not feeling well. I'm like, okay. And I was just like, <laughs> I was surprised we made it. <laughs> we had to be back here for a summer school the next day. And I get to my buddy's house and I didn't know writing that night. Uh, he's like, oh, aren't you going to do some writing? He's so used to me doing it when everybody, you know, kind of settles down. I was like, not, not tonight. I was like, I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> I mean, and Monday, this past Monday, yeah, this Monday was, it was a struggle bus too. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> All right. So for that third question there, uh, we talked, you talked about it just a little bit, but what are your Alex Truman Chronicles about? Um, I guess there's definitely something autobiographical about, about them. Oh, that's cool. um, because I think there's something rather lovely about imagining how you might have done things differently if you could insert yourself into your teenage person. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, where with, with all the experiences of life you've had, how you would have done things differently. And so there's a little bit of wish fulfillment in there. Mm. Um, now, I was always, my teachers would have agreed that I was very daydreamy, <laughs> um, having some difficulty in focusing on a real world, which I still do, I'm afraid. Um, but Alex Truman, um, he finds that his daydreaming, uh, sometimes when you're in a daydream, you kind of feel that time slows down. Yeah, stop. yeah. Yep. And for Alex, it actually does stop. And um, I've always been interested in time, very interested in time. And it, it, I, it occurred to me, wouldn't it be great? Uh, I'm sure I'm not the first person to it ever occurred to. Uh, but if you could stop time, because there would be so many opportunities for well, mischief, apart from anything else, if the whole world froze into immobility around you, particularly in a school setting, because you, <laughs> really, you could really settle some scores. Yeah. And these are, you know, some of the opportunities that uh, Alex takes when he finds that he has this amazing ability. But um, most opportunities also bring with them threats. And um, Alex soon finds that, although he can stop time, after a while he finds that he can't restart it. Mm. And that brings with it, um, well, obviously, he finds it rather upsetting, as you would, um, but it brings up a whole lot of other issues for him. So he finds himself trapped in this world, uh, which I call interstitia, which is a world that exists in between individual moments of which time is constructed. So we tend to think of time, don't we, as a, um, an arrow? Yep. Yeah, time's arrow. And um, what Alex finds is that he's stuck on this arrow, but there's a parallel, there's an arrow, sorry, not parallel, which is advancing at right angles to that arrow. Mm. So another time it's advancing at right angles to the time that we're, we're used, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is this world he finds himself trapped in of interstitia, which is trapped between moments. So from his point of view, he walks out into the street and everything is still. There are people caught in their... Um, whatever movements they are in, pushing, uh, pushing strollers, crossing streets. Um, there are birds caught in their flight. There are, um, you know, the whole sky is frozen. Everything is frozen in this moment of time. But he finds that he's not the only one who can do this. And so that also he shares this world, world with um, various other people who are trapped there as well. And so um, a moment in time, uh, 
tells a story of Alex's adventures in this place, the people he meets, and the way that he eventually uh, makes his escape. Um, so that's Alex's first adventure, as it were. But he finds that this world he's been in, this interstitia, uh, it leaves a mark on him. And also he's attracted the interest of other uh, beings from a higher plane of reality altogether, which is called Elysium. So you have reality, you have interstitia, and you have Elysium. And uh, Elysium is the realm of the angels and the archangels who govern uh, the universe. And so um, the Alice Truman Chronicles um, tell the story of Alex's adventures in these three realms and uh, how he eventually discovers the, the vast potential he has within himself uh, and matures as an individual and as an entity. Well, that's very interesting. <laughs> I think if you need more than that, this might be the wrong podcast. Um, <laughs> people in our audience. Uh, I've also been interested in science. Uh, I, I'm, inter I'm interested in the idea of science. I don't understand it. Um, but I used, we, when I was at school, we used to get the New Scientist magazine. Mm. And I always used to skip through most of the articles and go to the end where it said, this is going to make this happen, this is be possible, mm. and that's going to happen. So I'm interested in the possibilities of science. And uh, I, I think time is one of the most fascinating aspects of all, because, you know, uh, whatever you make up about science, you'll find that some physicist has made up something even weirder. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was listening to... Um something was bugging me on the big bang theory like that, where they were, uh, it was like something that like the character Sheldon had said about like one of the different dimensions. And he's like, yeah, well, like somebody said something random, I like, guess a joke and he, you know, took it seriously. He goes, no, actually this dimension, if it, the math was like this, it would be like this, this, and this. And I, it couldn't get out of my mind. So I looked it up and it was like, like a real theory. And I just thought that is literally the craziest, you know, world or, reality I could ever think of and they had you know the physics to prove it I guess and I was just like that's nuts yeah so I can definitely understand that there's a fine line isn't it between magic and science because you know <laughs> people used to call magic what we nowadays we would call science is because it's uh, magic is science that hasn't been invented yet really isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah well it's funny that you mentioned that because there's a new planet that they discovered that um I guess is a lot like Saturn um or sorry jupiter jupiter um and they said though that like from what they've seen of it so far and observed it seems like it's which i don't know how it would even be possible but it'd be like ten thousand degrees on the planet at all times um and then but yet the rock there's like the other center and the the planet itself is still there um so to me that's just so interesting um yeah. that they were able to see some rocky surface or something or determine that now it just it really got my it, it kind of reminded me of um oh like the fire elementals you know or whatever their plane is and yeah, um, yeah. you know and D, &D i just and they're supposed to be like molten hail raining down on fire allegedly with you know all you the storms and stuff. Con, yeah. yeah yeah it was very interesting yeah i, I love that idea and just uh, yeah astronomy is amazing isn't it oh yeah yeah the, the sheer size of it is well you know, the human brain cannot comprehend yep. infinity, can it? Yep. And when you say, when you try to explain to kids, you say, well, how big is the universe? And they say, well, it's infinite. What do you mean infinite? They say, well, it just goes on forever. I said, well, if you kept on going, what would you come to? He said, well, you just keep on going. That's it. No yeah. one knows 
well, it is. So again, we have this uh, interface between what we can understand and the vastness out there and what we can't bring within the sphere of our comprehension. Yeah, yeah. And I always wondered that with Star Wars because there was like one, um, you know, like they came to the edge of the galaxy and I'm like, well, then there's something beyond there. And that's where like um, in the later books um, for legends and stuff where like the Yuzumbong come from and the force doesn't work on them because they're not from the, the same galaxy and everything. And I just, I could ever wrap my, I'm like, so what's in between? And then there was that book outbound flight, which I still haven't read, but like it talks about some of the Jedi masters that, you know, go in between and get to this other like galaxy or whatever. And I'm just like, it, I tried always, I still to this day, always think about that. I mean, it was one of the, I think I read the, those when I was like, you know, maybe like a seventh through 10th grade or something like that. And I always tried to wrap my head around that concept and it, it was very difficult. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? There's, there's nothing there. And then there's something there. It just goes on forever. It's a, it is a very interesting thing to think about. Absolutely. Or, um, oh, what's his name with the restaurant at the end of the universe? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? the the galaxy, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I always think about that too. Like, would there be a restaurant at the edge of the galaxy? Like, yeah. I like things like that. Yeah. I love Douglas Adams. Yeah. 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 That was, that was quite influential on me when I was, again, when I was at college uh, mm. reading that. And they had a brilliant radio adaptation on, uh, on Radio 4. Oh, that's cool. Radio 4. And yeah, he, he was such an imaginative guy, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. And again, before his time, really, I think. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I went back and reread it two summers ago for summer school, and it just, again, it blew my mind. I probably hadn't read it since, like, right before the movie came out. I just remember reading it um, with a couple of friends, and then, like, two years later, I think the movie came out, and I loved the movie. Uh, still didn't like it as much as the book. But then when I reread it, I was like, well, this is why, <laughs> like, you know, they probably they did a really good job. But I'm with yeah. you. On, I'm with you on the movie. Uh, I think sometimes it spoils things making movies of them because you, you, you see them, you see it in your head, don't you? Yeah. Uh, you conjure up a vision in your head of what Ford Prefect should look like. Yep. <laughs> and when you see someone else, it's oh, not really what I wanted to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, that's why I always tell people, they go, why do you watch the, why do you read the book before watching the movie? I'm like, I don't want it to ruin it. And, you know, I feel like if I visualize first and then I go to read the book and it's so, it's obviously going to be so different. I feel like I can't continue on with the book, especially if it's an amazing story. I do the same thing with audiobooks too. Like, I'm not going to say which author, but I had an audio book that I thought, well, I'll just listen to the first, you know, three chapters and then I'll read the rest of the book. It like totally, it was not, a, they have since switched narrators and redone them. And I think they were the company that is no longer in business. So that was probably part of it, but you know, they wanted somebody that, you know, was famous and this person wants somebody that could do a good job with the book and the famous person did not. And it, I literally, it probably took me two years to then read the actual book. I needed like a palate cleanser. And so I, I always do that now. I'm, I love listening to them again, too, because it's like talking to authors like yourself. I like to talk to authors before reading their books. I feel like I get a lot more out of it, um, you know, and like not just from a reader standpoint, but also a writer standpoint. And uh, it definitely enhances the experience. So I'm kind of set my ways now for those things because <laughs> I enjoy the books that much more. And, you know, that's the whole point, I think. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting point about um, audiobooks. I hadn't considered that really. 
Um, yeah, so that, that, is, that is interesting. And um, some people enhance, you know, like some people's voice enhances the story, or you know, and then I end up in like Kevin J. Hearn's um, narrator. I'm totally blanking on his name, but um, you know, I love those books. I love those books. I was kind of scared, you know. I read all of them a couple times, and then did the audio books, and I was pleasantly surprised. I felt like the narrator did an amazing job, and with all the characters, you know, uh, men, women, the creatures, gods, goddesses. I mean, just did. A fabulous job. It does require someone with quite a vocal range, really, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. To voice a, a very wide range of characters, yep. or even creatures. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And like David Eddings, whoever his original um, narrator was for the Belgariad um, and the, the Malorian, uh, I mean, I, I loved him. Like, I think his Paul Guerra was probably one of the best men doing a female voice I've ever heard. I mean, it was like, it was like perfect. Um, and he had like the one of the widest ranges that I've ever heard. And it definitely I love those. I love those. And I thought, well, I just want to I was like, I don't have time to reread them again, but I want to listen to them. So I bought them and I thought, oh, they're probably not going to be as good, you know. And he I mean, he had to be the best audio narrator that I've ever heard, to be quite honest, for a, a big, you know, um, and it's a more of a like multilinguistic um, cast too, you know, because there's all these different characters from all over, you know, different cultures in the world. And I mean, he really did a good job with the syntax. You know, most people would just read the same like English version or something, or you know, for words. I mean, he did a really good job making you think that you know he was, you know, hundred different people. So yeah, definitely, definitely enhanced the experience. It was almost like a you know movie in your head. I've just been. I've just read Deborah J. Lightfoot's uh, Water Spell series, oh. and um, the uh, she does an audio book as well of Simon Didene, uh, who's an English uh, narrator, and he's very very good at it. Again, a very a huge vocal range, mm. and he very convincingly applies a voice to each of the each of her characters. Oh, that's awesome! It really, I, I, I sometimes I approach an audio book with a little trepidation if I've read the book before. Mm. Uh, well, I thought it worked really well. I think it's the same thing as like, you know, reading the book before a movie, you know, it's, it's not quite as jarring, but I still think it is, you know, cause you, you don't just attribute, you know, the character to a, a visual sense. You, I think you also do it with the auditory you one. Do. Right? That's and, you're right. Yeah. yeah and I, I think it's hard sometimes. Yeah. I definitely had a couple that took me out. Like I had one recently um, for a, a, a certain Englishman. And I absolutely love their series. I love, love, love reading their series. Well, everybody was narrated amazingly, except for the main character. Oh, no. That's and, <laughs> I, and only because I love the book so much did I get the first audiobook. And he ended up evening out, you know, because you could tell the character got a little older. So he's, I think that was like the... It was more of a direction thing by, you know, the whoever directed them. But I'm like, I hope in book two, I'm like, I cannot do, you know, this many books because it's a series, you know, if they continue to, you know, to do this. Because <laughs> I'm hoping eventually because the character is a little younger that, you know, they even it out. But it definitely it definitely jarred me. I had to take a break and I went back to John Scalzi's uh, uh, Old Man's War book one for the audiobook. <laughs> but yeah, it's could make or break you. I say, do you find that with, I, I, I think maybe it's my concentrate, perhaps it's my age, but concentration with audio books is when you're reading a book, you can read at your own pace. And if your attention wanders for a few moments, when you come back, you're still in the same place. But if you're listening to an audio book, 
you <laughs> you lose concentration for a few moments. So suddenly, what's happening in the story? <laughs> Hit me yesterday. I I had something had happened on the road, and I was like, oh, I hope that person's okay, you know. And I was kind of looking, and then. Um, you know, I was in traffic and then I like rolled my window down. I'm talking to them I'm like, yeah, no, we're good. Like we got help on the way and stuff and, like a flat tire or something, but it looked like mangled. Um, so I thought they got hit and like somebody did like a hit and run. And then I got, by the time I got back to it, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, how did this character get injured? I'm like, how did this happen? Exactly and that. I, yeah. I was like,